This podcast is dedicated to Shad Gaspard. Yo, 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 yo. Papa Forty and check your rollies. It's crime time. Brooklyn, Brooklyn. Welcome, everybody, to episode 13 of Fretz's Fave 5. Right here on the Wrestle Addict Radio Patreon. Thank you, everybody, for, you know, for reaching out and uh, talking about, um, you know, what I've been uploading lately. I absolutely appreciate it, folks. And, yeah, welcome back to the Fave 5. You know, after taking a week off to fantasy book The Undertaker, uh, thank you for those who have listened. And if you haven't, please go back into the archives here and listen to Hellfire and Tombstone, how I fantasy book Kane breaking the Undertaker's streak. So today on the Fave 5, I'm going to be covering a topic that I think was brought up by either King Ricky or Nate, someone on the WrestleLot radio chat, uh, my top five most shocking heel turns. And I'm going to give an honorable mention here. Well, to the late, great Shad Gaspard. You know, the man, um, he died a hero. A noble death. Guiding the, the rescuers to his son before he got taken under. So, Shad's heel turn was something I didn't see coming because I thought Crime Time was having a decent run on the main roster. Maybe it was a bit of stop-start, a bit of drafted to Raw here and SmackDown there, a couple of failed runs at uh, Tag Team Championship matches, I think most notably at SummerSlam 2008 or 9. Unfortunately, this... This team was split. In my opinion, they never should have, but that's uh, maybe a topic for a different top five. So, yeah, Shad's single run, it should have been better, but I don't think Crime Time should have ever been broken up. But his heel turn was something I never saw coming, because I thought, hey, Crime Time will tough it out a little bit more. Yeah, they just lost to, was it Miz Morrison or something? And then all of a sudden, Shad snaps and turns on JTG. Unfortunately, he wasn't on the main roster much longer. And uh, his death sucks. It's a gut punch. I mean, I'll never forget that image of him and MVP crying when Kofi won the WWE title at WrestleMania last year. It was touching it was it was beautiful you know Kofi became the first african-american champ and they both just broke down crying so my honorable mention or my number six just for one week is going to go to shad rest in peace man Sierra Hotel, India. Echo, Lima, Delta, Shield. my number five goes to seth rollins now, by 2014, the Shield have been running roughshod on WWE for 
almost two years at that point, maybe give or take about a year and a half. And after S.H.I.E.L.D. successfully defeated Evolution in two consecutive pay-per-view matches, one at Extreme Rules 2014, and again at Payback 2014, which was a no-hold-bars match, uh, the Shield swept him, and in the no-holds-barred no elimination match, no members of the Shield were eliminated. So Triple H was cu coming out to cut this promo on the Shield with Randy Orton, talking about, you know, last night was plan A, tonight is plan B. And then Seth Rollins is standing in the ring with a chair, Roman Reigns and Dean Ambrose are in there as well. And then the unthinkable happens. Seth Rollins cracks Roman Reigns in the back with a chair. Ambrose is stunned. Then he himself eats a chair shot. Then Seth Rollins, Randy Orton, and Triple H all lay out the remaining members of the Shield. Seth Rollins basically just dissolves the faction themselves because the three of them kind of went their separate ways a little bit, although Roman and uh, Ambrose would occasionally team back up to go up against the authority. The shield was done. And everyone thought that Ambrose, Ambrose Moxley was going to be the one to uh, put the knife in the back. Because there have been little cracks starting to form in the shield by this point. Not too much dissension, but you can tell by Moxley... Uh, yeah, I'm just going to call him Moxley, Ambrose, whatever. <laughs> and his facials, you can kind of tell. Maybe it's going to be him. Maybe he's the one that's going to go heal. And if it was him, maybe we could have saw a much better heel run than we saw in 2019, which is an absolute effing abomination. And if you listen to Mox on Talk is Jericho, you know. It's rough. So yeah, Seth Rollins takes my number five. This one was a shocker, and it also catapulted Rollins into the main event. This got him uh, the Money in the Bank victory. This got him that that briefcase that he held on to until WrestleMania 31. And if you listen to my top five cash-ins, it's in there. Uh, that was truly an unforgettable moment. Uh, Seth Rollins joining the authority. I, I thought it was awesome. And I kind of thought that he was the right guy. To play the heel. I mean, Ambrose was just this wacky, lovable, lunatic fringe. You couldn't help but get on his side. He wasn't the corporate-looking type. Uh, Roman was kind of coming into his own by this point. Uh, he didn't garner a lot of fan support yet, but... Soon after this, the fans were starting to turn on him in a 
in a way. Uh, I think various things uh, played a role in it. I won't get into what my opinion about it is because, you know, I actually like Roman now. Uh, I used to absolutely hate him. Uh, it's funny, um, looking on my Facebook memories, uh, one of my, I think it was one of my either appearances or one of my namesakes uh, got on the Kings of the Rings podcast. I don't think I was on it until like episode 104 and you know Kings of the Rings is going into episode 200 in a few weeks. Well, congratulations guys by the way. <laughs> oh that's going to be fun. But in one of my uh, appearances on the show I talked about how much I was embarrassed to be a fan of him in the past but many things uh, changed my mind. You know I'll admit that the diagnosis kind of saw me made me saw the man and aunt uh was a was a big hand in that too uh he probably knows that by now but aunt helped me become a big time roman reigns supporter so thank you for that yeah back to seth rollins i mean his heel run ran all the way until he uh buggered up his knee uh against kane trying to do a sunset flip powerbomb through a table why Kane's like 300 some odd pounds and his leg just completely buckled and then Triple H was kind of you know talking about him kind of dropping the ball and then Seth comes back uh yeah I need joint he uh rebels against Triple H turns face again but I have to just briefly go over his Monday Night Messiah run right now. He's back as a heel again. And he started off, it looked like he was doing this mob hit thing because he had uh, the AOP as his heavies, but now he's starting to gain disciples. I mean, he has uh, Buddy Murphy, and this week on Raw, he got Austin Theory. Like, what a get right there. Uh, Evolve's own Austin Theory. Uh, I got to give a shout out to... Uh, Kings of the Rings and uh, Wade because you know they're big time Evolve fans. They like they like to go to all the Evolve shows. Uh, I don't know Zach if you do or not, but I'll give a shout out to you because you're awesome too. So yeah, and Dusty Dave, Dave's often at the Evolve shows. Shout out to him. But yeah, Austin Theory is a great get, and I'm just curious to see how they're going to continue with this. So Seth Rollins, number five. Number four. Oh, Owen. Uh, good old Owen Hart. God rest his soul, man. Yeah, we just had the dark side of the ring this week. I'm, yeah, I'm not talking about it here. Nate and I co covered it already and shed a few tears over it. Um, one of my favorite moments in Owen Hart's entire career is his initial heel turn in 1994 at the Royal Rumble. Now, they're starting to see some cracks in the Hart Foundation and the Hart family. This started off with uh, the Hart brothers, uh, Brett, Owen, Bruce, and Keith, going up against Shawn Michaels and his knights. Was supposed to be Jerry Lawler and his knights, but Jerry Lawler had some legal problems. 
I'm not going to tell you what they are because I kind of spilled the beans and talked about them a little bit too much on the Game Changer podcast. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, so Owen was the only person eliminated from the Hart brothers. And after Brett and, and uh, Brett, Keith, and Bruce stood victorious in the ring, Owen, you know, shoved Brett and was very mad and very jealous. However, over Christmas 93, you know, they hashed it out, they broke up, they talked, and they unified to challenge the Quebecers for the Tag Team Championship at the Royal Rumble. And this match is amazing. I mean, you get any combination of the Hearts and PCO and any of the Rougeos, you're going to get a hell of a match. Yeah, PCO is in this match. Former Ring of Honor champion who's like 57 years old, like still like killing himself in, in Ring of Honor. <laughs> yeah, he was Quebecer Pierre. So during the match, uh, the Quebecers are working over the over Brett's leg, has been having a bit of a kayfabe injury, and Owen was begging to be tagged in this match, and you know Owen didn't see very much action in this, and the referee uh, stopped the match and awarded it to the Quebecers uh, a ref, a ref stoppage for a kayfabe knee injury. It looked silly. Until Owen snapped, he kicked Bret Hart's back leg and went to town on him. And, you know, officials separated it and Bret Hart was limping to the back getting helped. Owen Hart was cutting a promo, uh, probably with Pettengill. And it's just like, you're too selfish, Bret. And that's why I kicked your leg out of your leg. A famous flub, which is still one of the greatest promos of, of all time. Owen, and this started to catapult the rocket. I mean, the rocket was strapped to the rocket, and he went off. You know, of course, it led to, uh, in my opinion, the greatest wrestling match of all time, Bret Hart versus Owen Hart, in the opening match of WrestleMania 10. Owen won clean. He just out-wrestled Bret, uh, reversed the victory roll into a sit-down, and that was that. And funnily enough, like he flipped off Brett in that. I'm like, this is 94. This is new gen, kind of PG-ish era. But he still flipped Brett the bird. And one thing I remember from this match is uh, it was it was a clip that was used on OSW Reviews uh, WrestleMania 10 video. Check them out, by the way. And it was an excerpt probably from Owen Hart of Gold DVD, Blu-ray which you should buy. It's amazing. <laughs> I own it. <laughs> um, and it's like, you know, Owen's one of the best wrestlers ever, but he's such a little shithead, chicken shit, you know, cheater. Like he whips Brett down to the mat and he, he pulls his hair and he was like kind of face washing him with his boot and Brett like looked up at him and pointed like, you little. Yeah. Of course, you know, Owen Hart becomes the king of hearts and the king of the ring. And... And a little bit later, like early 95, he's like, yeah, okay, I'm going to be the best tag team. I'm going to be a better tag team champion than the Hart Foundation. Then him and Yoko hold on to the belts for about six months. 
Yeah, so... Oh, Owen Hart's heel turn is just a personal favorite of mine, despite the fact it's only at number four. Just for nostalgia's sake. Uh, for the... Basically for the leg out of your leg <laughs> promo. And the barn burner of a match that that the Hearts had with the Quebecers. Seriously, go back and watch it. Go back and watch the Quebecers, too. I mean, those guys could go. I mean, you had PCO and the Mountie. What better tag team can come out of Quebec than that, other than Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens? Number three. Number three gave us one of the greatest entrance themes in the history of professional wrestling. Oh man, it's so good. <laughs> I'm not going to spoil who it is quite yet, or else I'll be tempted to break out into song. My boy, Christian. <laughs> I absolutely love, love this entrance theme. It's probably in my top five entrance themes of all time. Maybe I'll do a Fae 5 with it. Even though in the past you've heard me play several of them. You've heard two of them, actually, on this list. Owen Hart and Christian. <laughs> Man, imagine that as a tag, as a comedy tag team. And right here, you heard in the background here. One thing I really like about this theme is that it's got a lot of Latin in it, and I think the Latin basically just talks about him getting away from his brother and being on his own. So Christian. I mean, this had such a special significance, you know. It took place in, I think, July or uh, late August 2001, I think just after SummerSlam. Uh, Edge retained his Intercontinental title in a match against Lance Storm um, in Edge and Christian's hometown of Toronto-ish. You know, Christian was born in Kitchener, where I went to college. And uh, Edge was born in Orangeville, just two hours away from where I live now. So, they lost the tag team titles. I think it was to Benoit and Jericho. And Edge won the King of the Ring in 2001, in June. Uh, Edge was becoming a face because, you know, he was facing off against the Invasion. And... While Christian did briefly turn babyface to feud with the Alliance, he eventually turned heel. And after Edge's successful defense against Lance Storm, uh, Lance attacks him afterwards, tries to lay out Edge, tries to re-injure his knee. And Christian comes out for the save with a chair. And he chases off Lance Storm. He picks up the King of the Ring trophy that looked like the Stanley Cup. And he picks it up. Christian has the chair in his hand. And wham! 
lays out Edge with the chair. He attacks him. The crowd is booing this hard because this is Toronto. This is the city where they came up together. You know, Christian made his WWE debut in Hamilton, Ontario, which is just a stone's throw from Toronto, like maybe an hour to an hour and a half tops from Toronto. Uh, it it made sense to take place in Toronto because it was it was more special that it was in their hometown. And I don't know if this was on the same night or if it was a little bit later during, during their feud, there was basically this thing where Christian was just like, oh, no, mom's, mom's sick, mom's in an accident, oh, let's go. And they're gone. And you think they're putting their differences aside to go tend to their mother who was in an accident. No, it was a setup. It was a ruse. And yeah, Christian, Christian's original heel run was, I think it was pretty good. He played a great detestable prick. Uh, Unforgiven, uh, Christian defeated Edge to win his first Intercontinental Championship. I don't think that match was very good. I mean, if, I think they even talk about it being like, eh, it wasn't our best. And then he lost it back to Edge in a ladder match in No Mercy. Uh, and then just after this, Christian became the champion of Europe, defeating Bradshaw on a dark match on October 29th, 2001 of Raw. Uh, and then, you know, he continued his feud with Edge, facing him in a cage match at Rebellion UK pay-per-view, but he failed. Uh, Christian defeated Al Snow to retain the European Championship at Survivor Series. And then, you know, he eventually became a member of one of my favorite stables of all time, the Un-Americans. Now, hear me out. I am the sole Canadian on WrestleAddict Radio. Slack, I you're affiliated with us, but you know. <laughs> but F you, Slack. <laughs> I had to. I had to, dude. I'm sorry. Um, yeah. The Un-Americans, to me, it, it capitalized on the times. I mean, 2002, this was not even a year removed from 9-11. And this was just the, the post, what I call, please don't um, be offended by this, like post-9-11 paranoia patriotism. I found the patriotism admirable. At first. And, um, yeah, it got to be a little bit much when Spider-Man's running in front of a giant American flag for three movies. I'll just say that. Um, they capitalized on it, but I think the heat was a little too hot. I mean, they were getting kind of threats. But, you know, the Un-Americans, I thought they did their job as awesome heels. And he even had William Regal get affiliated with them, which made it even better because... William Regal makes everything better. Even backstage skits dancing with crime time. Yes, that was a thing. Uh, eventually, you know, Christian would become a babyface, but I think it was a little while later because he was a heel for quite a while. Even when he had, um, you know, Waterproof Blonde play their version of 
Just Close Your Eyes, which is far superior than the version that we have now, who I think it's CFO dollar sign or Downstreet or some crap band like that. Yeah, Christians gave us the best theme of all time. That's one of the reasons why he's my number three. My number two, actually my last two are going to be rather predictable, but number two is It's a Doozy Man. Sean Michaels. It's January 1992. Uh, January 11th, 1992. On an episode of Wrestling Challenge. Brutus Beefcake and his barbershop bring out the rockers. Marty Jannetty and Shawn Michaels who have been having problems as of late miscommunications leading to eliminations you know notably at uh, Survivor Series 91 uh, Marty Jannetty had one of the nasty boys I believe up for a scoop slam but in the midst of the slam Brian Nobbs' leg clips the back of Sean's head and the Rockers are eliminated. Now, I believe there might have been a title match in there too that that happened and they lost. They've been having problems. There's trouble in paradise. No, not that. No, not not your trouble in paradise, Kofi. Yours won a championship. Actually, Marginetti's a former Intercontinental champ. Shut up, frets. Anyways, Mart Shawn Michaels, I mean, cemented his heel turn by breaking up with partner Marty Jannetty during this segment. Michaels was only 26 at this point in time in, in 92. So, at first he appeared to patch things up with Marty, giving him a hug, and then he backed up and hit him with some sweet chin music. And uh, Bobby Heenan was perfect on commentary. He's like, oh, I know he was going to do that. And, you know, Monsoon, although he, I don't think he said it, I, I imagine it would have been a, will you stop? Will you be serious? Oh, man. The, the, they're the greatest on commentary. Screw JR and King. It's all about Gorilla and Bobby. My goodness, they were the best. <laughs> yeah, and then you see that pivotal moment, that infamous moment that's played over and over again. Not as much as number one, but Michael's grabbing Marty by the back of the head and wham sending him through the barbershop window and Bobby Heenan just piling on the gold here uh, said something along the lines of oh he jumped out of the window to escape are you blind <laughs> yeah 
mean, they, they sold it even they sold it even better, and this um, sent Shawn Michaels on a meteoric rise to the top. This strapped the rocket to him. You know, by the end of 1992, Shawn would be the Intercontinental Champion, and he would be main eventing Survivor Series with Bret Hart. I think it was like a champion versus champion match, but only Brett's title was on the line or something something like that. And, you know, he was in a featured match at Survivor Series 93. He was in a opening match in 94, which was actually part of a major storyline involving Diesel. He had a couple more prominent Survivor Series moments, one of which I'm not going to talk about because it's been talked about to death. But... Yeah, this this sent Michaels on the rise, and four years after this, he would win the Royal Rumble and become the WWE Champion. The boyhood dream has come true for Shawn Michaels. Yeah, this, this set the wheels in motion, and he became one of the greatest of all time. And it all started with a barbershop window. My number one is, you're all going to see this coming. I, I, I'm just going to play the clip. could it be who else could it be hulk hogan love him or hate him is one of the biggest stars in wrestling history one of the greats one of the best of all time maybe even mount rushmore worthy now I'm going to put the things that he has said to the side, because this isn't about that. I mean, I don't have any respect for the man, but as I said, love him or hate him, wrestling wouldn't be what it is without him. He's not solely responsible for its resurgence, or for rock and wrestling, or for the NWO. He's part of it. He played a pivotal part. This heel turn, Bash at the Beach, 1996, July 7th, 
the Ocean Center in Daytona Beach. The classic Bash at the Beach arena that had water around it, you know, that had that swimming pool. I think it might have been on, no, that was 95. That was actually on the beach. And Hogan was at that one too. Scott Hall and Kevin Nash have recently jumped ship from the WWF to WCW. And they just said, we're taking over. You know who I am, but you don't know why I'm here. Then, a little bit later, in comes Kevin Nash. They powerbomb Eric Bischoff through the stage at Great American Bash 96. I remember that like the back of my head because that was the first WCW VHS tape I had. Thanks, Johnny. Thank you much for that. Very much for that. And then I got Hog Wild 96 right after that. So, yeah. I would have been 12 years old in 96. I wasn't smartened up to the business for... I don't want to tell you how much longer it was after that. It was a while. Hogan had been playing the white meat baby face for, at that point, probably over 14 or 15 years. He was WWF through and through, and then eventually he was WCW through and through. He was the good guy. Hogan must pose was also a thing in WCW because creative control, I guess. Hall and Nash, for weeks leading up to this, were teasing a third man. And everybody was starting to point fingers. Who's it going to be? Hall and Nash were in a tag team match against Sting and Randy Savage. Maybe it's one of them. Maybe it's Mabel Russo, you twat. Maybe it's someone else coming from the WWF. Who just left? 123Kid. He joined later, but he wasn't the third man. Because it wouldn't hold the same gravitas as this. I believe that this heel turn, I think, changed the wrestling industry itself. Because... You know, fans have been tiring of Hulk Hogan's good guy shtick. Your white meat baby face, your, you know, waving the finger. You, one, two, three, punch, leg drop, you know, boot leg drop, pin. People are getting tired of that. And I think the fans were starting to turn on Hogan just a little bit. And what better way to capitalize than to turn the biggest baby face in the history of professional wrestling, turn him into a heel. However, the NWO, while they were heels, they were getting cheered. You're, you're, um, I hate these terms, smart mark. Versus marks, yeah. I don't. I don't use those words. Although you he- you will hear me use them loosely because you know I still don't know what they actually mean. 
I used to be called a mark and I used to think it was an insult. And then I would tell that person to go fuck themselves and then I would get kicked off of message boards. <laughs> yeah, that's actually a thing that happened. Um, yeah, Hogan not only turned wrestling upside down, it curried the favor of WCW for several weeks. I know like Nitro and Raw were kind of doing a bit of head-to-head since, well, the inception of Nitro in September 95. And up until this point, it was, mm, you know, Raw won here and there, but not very many. But I think the NWO kind of helped kicked off the 83 weeks, if I'm not mistaken. And while Hogan was the most booed person on the roster, in a way he was almost one of the most beloved. I'd, I'd say mostly the outsiders kind of took that shine from Hogan, but you know, Hogan took all the heat. I mean, you should see the trash that was getting thrown into the ring at this. after this. Uh, all the trash that was thrown in the ring after Hogan won the title from, from the Giant at Hog Wild. Anytime the NWO started running roughshod over everybody, just the beer cups and the popcorn bags and, and everything just showered the ring. And this kind of took took me back to territorial days where, you know, Freddie Blassie used to tell stories about, I think he got stabbed, maybe Piper too. Uh, you know, obviously by the 90s, you weren't bringing in weapons to the arenas, but you were bringing in your, your camcorders, your cigarettes, and other things you can't bring in today. But yeah, Hulk Hogan was the most shocking. And, you know, Bobby Heenan almost gave it away a little bit by going, whose side is he on? What are you talking about? The Heenan, Man. That's my end. Although I said Owen Hart is a personal favorite of mine for nostalgia reasons, this one I hold in high regard because of what it did for wrestling, what it did for WCW. And then eventually that gave... WWE the fuel to the fire to change things up a bit and get a little bit more attitude in there if you will so yeah that's been my my uh my Fretz's Fave 5 for for this week I hope you all have enjoyed it if you have recommendations for for topics please tweet me uh if you have me on Facebook you can send me a, a Facebook messenger uh, message that'll probably be the quickest way to get to me uh, you can DM me on Twitter I'll get back to you as I can through that so yeah so if you have recommendations from a list I want to hear from you I want to hear what you think I have a list I have several more topics to go through and eventually I'm going to run out of ideas and hopefully by the time I run out of ideas we're letting fans in shows and I'll be able to actually enjoy watching uh, Raw and SmackDown and NXT and AEW. AEW has a pay-per-view this week. 
It's going to take place in front of no fans. I'm intrigued by it. I'll probably end up ordering it or watching it or downloading it or or something. Yeah, so yeah, tweet me for, for topics, please. Please help me out with some topics. I'd be eternally grateful to you. So please, everybody, stay safe, be smart, be kind, and yeah, that's all I can say. I love you all. God bless you. Peace out.